our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. You can be part of the whole thing. Just look on your screen there. If you have your Bible, let's turn to two places. First of all, let's go to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord God, that in this time you would open it up to us and speak it to our hearts and our minds in the power of your Holy Spirit. For we love you and praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We pick up in chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen mother, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen mother declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have brought in before me to read this uh, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. 
Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said to the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kinship, your, your father kinship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of all the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was like the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And then let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll help her back. Hey, we need to go back the other direction, little one. Whoa! Whoa! Woo! Say hi to everybody. Whoa! There you go. I love the children, and uh, we love having them. It's, it's so cool. I just, I absolutely love it. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, start with verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. 
Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Well, I'm sad to admit that there's been a conspiracy against me. And I want to unmask the conspiracy. Even though my dear wife was complicit in this conspiracy, and she had planned, along with several people, including, I think, Mrs. Anna, Anna Fouche here, to convince me after I awoke from five weeks in a coma in the hospital that I like rice. <laughs> she was going to tell me, but Rod, before, rice was your favorite food. You loved it, you know, in the hope that somehow my taste buds would shift. Uh, we got a lot of laughs out of that. But uh, I do remember waking up after five weeks in a coma. This is January 21, first couple of weeks of February of 21. I wake up in the hospital, and one of the first things someone said to me is, oh, you know, there was a raid on the Capitol building in the United States. And I said, no, you're lying to me. That would never happen in the United States. That can't possibly be right. And yet, it did. And I was just stunned. I was absolutely shocked. And in fact, you know, the last few years... I could probably go back about a decade now. I've consistently been shocked by things that have happened, particularly in government. And it's been very curious to see all the twists and turns of leadership. Now, what's been happening recently to Trump? Now, you know, six different counts of various things that he's going to have to, uh, have to defend and, and is hoping still to run for the president of the United States. Well, and some people see it as a conspiracy, and oh, you, who knows? Who knows what's going on? But I recall back with David Cameron. You know, you remember, he was a very popular prime minister. A lot of people seemed to like him. I guess a lot of people didn't like him. But then, he, he suddenly, he promotes uh, homosexual marriage, and he leads the country into the Brexit referendum, and then he's gone. He's suddenly gone. Or you look at what happened to Boris, my good buddy, uh, my dear friend, uh, not really, but, uh, and how elected by one of the biggest majorities in modern history. A solid grip on power until he lost it. Or you look at what happened to Nicola Sturgeon, I mean, one of the most powerful national politicians globally. Globally. And then she was there, and suddenly she's not. And all these things are happening, 
And all these twists and turns are going on. And a lot of people have been mystified. A lot of people have been confused. But I've not been one of those lot of people. And I don't think many of you have been those lot of people. Do you see the challenge is that people in the world don't understand these things. But if you're walking with the Lord and you hold integrity in Christ to be something very important, very dear, and you're listening to the Lord and you're reading the scriptures, you can see in all of these situations the handwriting on the wall. Now that phrase, it's a very powerful English phrase, and it actually comes from the passage that we read today. The handwriting on the wall is simply a phrase in English that means something bad is going to happen, something negative is going to happen, and the signs are there if you'll open your eyes to see them. And you can watch it happen, you can watch it unfold. And for many situations, uh, for many people in government, but not only for people in government, we see that for people in, in leadership, in corporate leadership, men and women, how the handwriting has been on the wall. And we need to understand how that works, and we need to understand how to look for these signs, how to navigate these treacherous waters, if you will, and how to flourish then amidst the craziness of what is happening in the governments of Babylon. Now remember, we live in Babylon, not Israel. We live in a society that no longer prefers Christianity, but is actually hostile to Christianity. And that's the UK society, that's the United States society, it's most of Europe, and it's many other nations of the world right now. This is our context, this is our reality, and it's the same reality that Daniel was living in in chapter 5. And when we look at chapter 5, the story in chapter 5 occurs 15 to 20 years after chapter 4. Many times we read the Bible and we think that one thing happens after another, after another, after another, but that's not the case. Sometimes there's huge gaps in the time and in this case, it's at least 15 to 20 years later from when Nebuchadnezzar went crazy and then had his kingdom restored to him. Nebuchadnezzar himself ruled until 562. And then his son, Nabondius, ruled with him for a few years from about 556. And Nabondius then ruled until 539. But Nabondius... Somewhere along the way, he decided maybe to seek after the gods or maybe he wanted a retirement. So he went to a little place called Tima and left his son, Belshazzar, in charge. And so he was known as the king, even though uh, he was Belshazzar's father and he was the king. Belshazzar himself would also be known as the king. So chapter 4 takes place before 556. But chapter 5 happens in 539. And uh, uh, Daniel at this time is about 80 years old. He's about 80 years old. So Bab Daniel had been in Babylon for about 65 years. 
And at this time, Babylon is likely under siege by the Medes and the Persians. It's being attacked. The city is being attacked. But it was a strong city. It was a wealthy city. It was a heavily fortified city. And and so uh, they didn't feel like they were in imminent danger, even though the siege was there. And King Belshazzar, instead of preparing for how to defend the city, says, hey, let's get together and have a party. Let's get together. I want a thousand of my lords to come. I want all my wives. I want all my concubines. Let's get together and let's, you know, party the night away. And so he gets there. He starts drinking in front of everybody in all the time that he should be uh, protecting the city. He's showing off his power and he's showing off his arrogance despite the siege that's going on. And in his drunken arrogance, he calls for the vessels that were taken from the temple to be brought out of the treasury so they can use them in their partying. And in his drunken arrogance, he persuades all the other people to join with him in this partying. And in his drunken arrogance, they end up praising the gods of gold and silver and wood and stone uh, and all these other false gods. They praise the false gods and they dishonor the one true God using the things of God himself. And so at this moment, the hand appears and the hand appears and starts writing on the plaster opposite the lampstand. In other words, it's in full view of everybody. Everybody could see what was happening. This hand looks like a human hand appears. It writes on the wall, but nobody knows what's happening. Nobody can figure it out. And so uh, Belshazzar, he says, call me all the magicians and the sorcerers and all the Chaldeans and everybody and let them come and figure it out. Nobody can do it. And there's such a ruckus going on that the queen mother, now this wasn't the woman married to uh, uh, Belshazzar. This was maybe the woman married to Nabondius or it could have been his grandmother, Nebuchadnezzar's wife. We're not totally sure. But she's the queen mother. Uh, that's, that's the role that she'd have. And so she's probably trying to sleep the night away and the ruckus is so loud. So she comes in, figures out what's going on and says, hey, Belshazzar, there's this guy named Daniel. And he was really important to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he, uh, Nebuchadnezzar made him the chief of all the Chaldeans. Uh, you should call him because this guy's got an excellent spirit. He's filled with the spirit of the gods and, uh, and he's the kind of guy that can figure this stuff out. And so they call for him. And, uh, uh, and, and Belshazzar, he had offered to anybody who could solve the riddle, he said, you'll get a purple robe, you'll get this big like gold chain. You know, that just tells you it must have been kind of a party, huh? If they're gonna wear robes and gold chains. Uh, you get this big gold chain and I'll make you third ruler in the kingdom. That means, you see, he's second ruler, Nabondius is first ruler, so all he can do is make Daniel the third ruler, but he's the, he'd be the top guy just under the King Belshazzar. So Daniel comes in and he says, well, keep your junk. I don't want it. Give it to somebody else. But I will tell you, I will interpret. And he speaks pretty forthrightly. And he says, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, your, your father, 
meaning his ancestor, not his immediate father. Nebuchadnezzar, your father, he went crazy, but he gave God glory. But here, you're not even doing that. You know the story. You know better. But instead of dealing with what you need to be dealing with, you're here partying and you use the vessels from the temple of God and you dishonor God. So this is what it means. Many, many, uh, you have, your days are numbered. Takel, you've been found, uh, you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. Parson, your kingdom's going to be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that's Parson sounds like both division and Persians. And that's what's going to happen. And then Belshazzar does an amazing thing. He says, okay, go ahead, put the robe and stuff on him. Now, I kind of wonder, I think Belshazzar was probably really ticked off at this stage. But he couldn't kill Daniel in the sight of everybody. That would be dishonoring. So what does he do? Even though Daniel doesn't want it, he makes him the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, why does he do that? I think he did it because he's saying, well, okay, if the Medes and the Persians are going to come and kill me, they're going to come and kill you too because you're ruling alongside of me. So at least I can guarantee your death. And then that very night, he dies. He's killed. Uh, the, the word is that somebody snuck in and murdered him so that Darius could take over, to take over the kingdom. And that's the story. And in this story, we learn some very important things about flourishing in Babylon. We learn that we can see when the handwriting is on the wall. We can know when the handwriting is on the wall in Babylon. Even if we don't see the handwriting itself, there are certain conditions that if we start to see these conditions satisfied in our society, we can know the handwriting is on the wall. The first one, and this is when God will bring judgment. So when does God finally bring judgment on leadership? When does God finally bring that handwriting on the wall? Well, the first thing we learn, God will do it when the true leaders are absent and leave those unqualified for leadership in control. Nabondius, he was supposed to be king. He was supposed to be there, but he had effectively stepped away, went on a holiday, and left his worthless son, Belshazzar, in control. A guy who didn't clearly did not know how to rule or how to govern a nation. And when that happens, you can say, there's going to be handwriting on the wall. You can tell that there's going to be handwriting on the wall when there is revelry, when there is partying in the place and symbol of authority. When there should be people taking responsibility and leadership for the well-being of the nation. When there's partying in the place of authority. When people should be taking responsibility. In this case, they were celebrating when the nation was under siege. They were having a party, not paying attention. They were placing a higher value on partying than they were on serving the people. Kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the questions that arose in all this party gate during the pandemic. 
and the hint that it wasn't just one party partying during this time. You can also know that the handwriting is going to be on the wall when people give themselves over to seeking pleasure and sinful partying, especially people in leadership. When they seem to be out after pleasure, when they seem to be out after their own well-being, when they seem to be out after feathering their own nest, you're going to start seeing the handwriting on the wall. You can also expect the handwriting on the wall when people are caught up in carelessness and disrespect, especially if they're drunk, and especially regarding the things of God. Especially at that time, you can expect to see the handwriting on the wall. You can also expect to see the handwriting on the wall when leaders use or abuse the things of God for their own pleasure or purposes. I think we saw that with the promotion of alternate forms of marriage. But there are many that have done it who quote scripture for their own ends. I've seen it time after time after time in leaders trying to gain a certain degree of credibility when their hearts were further from God than Belshazzar's heart was. And when that happens, you can expect there will be handwriting on the wall somewhere, even if you don't see it. And you can expect to see the handwriting on the wall when people fail to acknowledge the God who gives life and breath and prosperity. Whenever a nation and the leaders of a nation start saying, hey, we did this of our own strength. We did this in our own hand. It was our own cleverness that brought this about. When nations just completely disregard God, when they refuse to acknowledge the God of heaven, or when they allow their citizens who are Christians to be persecuted and violated, then you know there's going to be handwriting on the wall. And we should expect to see it. It's going to happen. And when God brings his judgment, it will be public. The sin is often in secret, but the judgment will be in public. And we see this in terrible falls from grace, even amongst those who claim to be Christians, and even in church leadership. When God brings his judgment, it is clear, but it's also quiet. He doesn't trumpet the judgment until the last trumpet. And then we know the judgment for all is coming. When God brings his judgment, it's decisive. At that point in time, it's too late to change. And just like with Belshazzar, it will diminish the leader's conviction and courage. They will not be able to stand. They'll find that they can do nothing else but resign. And when God brings his judgment, it will be mysterious. Sometimes even the leaders themselves will not be able to figure out what's just happened to them. But God will make it known to his people, to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. We can see that. So we can see, we can anticipate when there's going to be handwriting on the wall and there's going to be some changes in leadership. And when we see significant changes like that, we should always look and say, okay, 
were those other signs there. And almost always you'll find at least several of them present before the leader's downfall. And in this passage as well, not only do we get to discern when there might be handwriting on the wall, but we see a lot about our human condition. Things that we all share together as human beings. First, we see that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind. Whether or not they believe and acknowledge God, God is still sovereign. It's what we talked about last week. We see here very clearly that our lives and the lives of everybody depend on God. Our breath is in his hands, whether you believe it or not. Our breath is in God's hands. Our destiny is shaped by God. Our ways are in God's hands, whether you acknowledge it or not. It's true for all of us. And our duty as human beings, and it's the duty of all human beings, not just Christians, our duty as human beings is to honor God, the one true living God of the universe. Not the demon gods of human creation, but the one true living God. But the only way that we can honor God is as God commands and God desires. Otherwise, we're not honoring him. We also learn that our human sin and our brokenness flows from our failure to honor God in our lives. Whenever people, and again, this is human condition, not just Christian condition, but whenever people fail to honor God, sin will come in and present pleasure will ultimately lead to future ruin. And that's true of all humanity. As human beings, we learn that our days are numbered. And we learn that our lives are judged. That we are weighed according to a divine standard, not a human one. We learn that our leadership and our influence, whatever we have, is going to end. There'll be a time when you don't have it anymore. It might be before you die, it might be after you die. And we also learn it doesn't matter if you're the first in the kingdom, the second in the kingdom, the third in the kingdom, or you're just a commoner. Kings and commoners alike share in this human condition. Nobody, nobody gets out of it in this life and in this world. But we also learn in this passage, we see how Daniel, we see in Daniel how to live for God as people of influence in Babylon. Here's Daniel. He's in his 80s. He started in Babylon as a teenager. We're not sure exactly what age. We're guessing maybe 15 or so. And here is Daniel in his 80s still a man of influence, still alive, still thriving. And so we see in Daniel how we can live for God in, as people of influence in Babylon. Daniel, note, wasn't found with the people partying and getting drunk. He could have been there, but he wasn't. Daniel wasn't found either with the siege against Babylon. 
Daniel wasn't found with those trying to bring the government down, trying to force God's hand. Daniel had the characteristics of a person of genuine influence in Babylon. And there were three. First, Daniel had an excellent spirit. In other words, he was a man of integrity. He was honest. He kept his word. What you saw on the outside, the qualities you saw on the outside were the same qualities you saw on the inside. That's what it means to be an excellent spirit. Secondly, Daniel had knowledge, wisdom, and problem solving. In other words, he applied himself to learn, but also he studied how to apply learning to life and how to solve complex issues. So often, quite frankly, we're lazy. We want other people to solve the issues for us. I see it a lot of times in Bible study, where we read the Bible and we think, oh, well, let me find out what Rod says about it, or or what Karen says, or what uh, a book says about it, or what I can find on the internet, instead of really digging down deep and trying to figure it out for ourselves. Daniel wasn't like that. He went after the knowledge. He went after the wisdom. And he went after the problem solving. And all of these things are things that you can learn. It's not easy, but you can learn them. And finally, Daniel was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit in ways that manifested clearly in his life. People saw the Spirit of God within him. People acknowledged the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Everybody knew. They call him the Spirit of the gods, but we know it's the Holy Spirit. And the really exciting thing for us, if you're a Christian, you got that one. And actually, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you right now more than Daniel had the Holy Spirit if you can believe it. And that's you right now. So we just need to get that integrity and we need to get that, become that knowledge, wisdom, and problem solving. And notice the other thing about Daniel that enabled him to be, to live for God as a person of influence in Babylon. Daniel disregarded the rewards and affirmations of those in power, of those who had leadership and influence. He didn't want them. He didn't go after them. Not only did he not go after them, he disregarded them. It's like, that's not important. I don't really want that. And then Daniel refused to embellish or soften God's word. As we've been saying, Daniel lived a faithful life punctuated by miracles, not a miraculous life punctuated by faithfulness. Daniel lived a faithful life punctuated by miracles, not a miraculous life punctuated by faithfulness. That's the life, by the way, every single one of us are called to live. That's the life the Apostle Paul lived. That's the life all the apostles lived. It's the life that we are called to live. With Daniel, look here, he had 15 to 20 years of faithfulness from chapter 4 to chapter 5, where nothing was going on as far as we know. 
He might have had a few of the dreams that he shares in the latter part of the book. But here's 15 to 20 years when he's not on the, on the stage. He might have even retired at some point. Kind of stepped back a little bit. But these 15 to 20 years of faithfulness put him in the position that when he was needed, when Belshazzar called on him, he was able to step forward in that moment with integrity, filled with the Spirit, with knowledge, wisdom, and problem solving to step forward and meet the challenge of the moment in the power of God. And Daniel did not die. But he lived. All because of who he was. And we can live that same life. That's for us. If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead, if you've trusted in Jesus to forgive your sins and fill your life with his Holy Spirit, if you're looking to Jesus for leadership in your life, then you can live this. This is for all of us who are living in this Babylon right now. This is our reality. This is the life that we can live. But we also in this text see in Daniel God's promises and God's purposes for his people in Babylon. Daniel reveals God's promises and purposes and those promises and purposes for his people are not just for Daniel, they're for all of us. Note again, Daniel's name was remembered. Daniel, unlike England, Daniel was not a common name. Belteshazzar, that was more common. Or call him Baal for short. Now, it's like Daniel. Who, what, who gives a kid the name Daniel? Oh, it's one of those Jewish guys. Okay, that explains it. They're always coming up with, with those weird names. Yet Daniel's name, more than two decades, is still remembered, even though he's off the stage. From chapter 4 to chapter 5, his name is remembered, just as our name will be remembered. Maybe not by people in Babylon, but certainly by people in the kingdom of God. Daniel also had impact and influence despite his age. That's a powerful thing about his story. He starts out as a teenager, and now he's a man in his 80s, and he's still a man of tremendous influence. He's still a man of great reputation, although he never built his brand. He never sought the accolades of people but he was a man of influence. Daniel was the one who could interpret God's plans and intentions, that writing on the wall. And in the same way, we as God's people are the ones who can interpret the writing on the wall. We are the ones who can interpret God's plans and intentions. We are the ones that God will use to do that. Because the leaders of Babylon, whether it was Babylon a few thousand years ago, or this Babylon we live in today, cannot, they cannot determine God's plans and intentions. God only reveals that to his people. 
And he'll only reveal that if we're listening and looking. And we need to understand as well that Daniel was the sign and symbol of God's presence and God's rulership, even in Babylon. The very fact that Daniel was there was a demonstration that the king of heaven, the one true living God, would always have a witness and that nobody in Babylon would be allowed to deny his reality. And Daniel stood fast. And in the same way, the very presence of the church of Jesus Christ and the very presence of Christians in this society, we are demonstrations that there is one God on the throne and it's not a Hindu God, it's not a Muslim God, it's not a false God, it's not a Buddhist God, it's not a witchcraft God. There's one God on the throne, Yahweh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign creator of all, the ruler of the universe. And we, by our very existence, are evidence of this. That's why they want to slaughter Christians in other nations of the world. Because we, by our existence, defy the rulers of Babylon and say, we will not bow, and we will not accept your trinkets, but we will live for Jesus. And so as Paul said, to some people, we're gonna smell sweet. To other people, we're gonna smell like death because we're an indicator of their death and that their kingdoms will fall, that they will die and come to nothing. And God helped Daniel stand and thrive even when everything around him was collapsing. Do you notice this? Here it is, chapter 5. Medes and Persians take over. Daniel's number 3 now in the kingdom. The first thing conquering kings almost always did, such as when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, he takes away the leaders and most of them he kills. Those he doesn't want to kill, he toys with and puts them in prison. But under no circumstances do you let the number three guy in the kingdom survive. Yet here we'll see next week in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's still alive and well and thriving. And in fact, is pretty good pals with Darius. Only God can do that kind of thing. Only God. Daniel lived through multiple changes of Babylon's government, but he remained in a position of influence throughout every single one. Frankly, we'll live through a lot of changes. I don't know how many changes are coming up. Certainly there were a lot more prime ministerial changes in the last few years than I ever thought I'd see in my lifetime. So, and presidents, God only knows he's gonna be the next president of the United States or Prime Minister of Canada, or wherever. We're living through all of this. We're going to see the leaders rise and fall, kind of like popcorn in a popcorn popper. They'll pop up and they'll go down. Who knows? But I can tell you one thing. We will stand. And I can tell you the Church of Jesus Christ will be here. No matter who's in power, no matter how long it takes, the church of Jesus Christ will be here until Jesus comes again.
That's the promise. That's the promise that we live out. The handwriting's on the wall. Babylon is going to fall. We know that because we look to the end of the book. And if you read to the end of the book, that is the Bible, you discover Babylon's coming down. And a new Jerusalem is coming up. And that we are going to be part of that kingdom as we stand fast. And this passage encourages us. says, yeah, we can see the handwriting on the wall if we opened our eyes. And we can know that all humanity is held in the hands of God. But we can also know that we can be people of excellence and influence right now in Babylon by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God is living inside of us. And we know that no matter what happens, we'll be here. Because no matter what happens, Jesus is here with us. Let us live boldly for Jesus here in Babylon. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord, that here in this Babylon, you would make us faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. That here in this Babylon, wherever we go, we would be the fragrance of Jesus. And I pray in a pleasant way, because I pray that it would mean that people are being saved. That people are coming to a knowledge of the truth. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong. Help us to be confident, even when it seems like the world around us is falling apart. Let us stand strong in the knowledge that you are with us. You strengthen us. You comfort us. And let us stand strong in faith together. Because together we are a building of God, a temple of the living God that cannot be destroyed. No matter who's in charge in Babylon. We love you. We worship you. We praise you and adore you. And pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.